Hello, my name is Sam Smith, and this is Map of the Maze podcast from Pep Talks, in which I'll be exploring a business theme related specifically to private equity-backed and entrepreneurial companies. Today, I'll be chatting to David Brennan, CEO of Nexus Vehicle Rental, about strategic clarity versus blue sky thinking, and asking him how really understanding your private equity partners will give way to the most effective exit preparation and delivery. Welcome, David. Uh, thank you. Great, Great to be here. So um, why, why don't we start off with you just giving us a bit of background to how, how you arrived in this world of private equity? Okay, well, I've worked in industry for uh, 25 years all around automotive. Um, and I had a phone call from Living Bridge um, late 2013. And they had a, a business called Nexus. <clears throat> they were looking to see what they could do with that business. They were looking for somebody to come in, have a fresh review of the strategy uh, and try and work out what the business was because it, it had a number of different growth areas and it was unclear how to maximize the value for them and for the management team um, through an exit for that business. So I landed in May 14 um, into a business that had two different revenue streams. One, it was renting out um, vehicles to disabled customers and, and renting out speciality assets as we would call it. And the second was it had a technology platform called Iris, which is all about the tech enablement and disruption of the vehicle rental market. So two very different things, one, one powered by tech, one owning assets. And the question from Living Bridge was, is there a third leg to this stool? Right. So can Nexus have another um, business unit, set of products, or do we have enough already? And if we have enough already, which of those two should we focus upon? So. A lot of what I had to do in the early stages were to look at the business from scratch. So talking to customers, talking to suppliers, talking to the investor, trying to understand what did we have and where was the room for growth? So what was the market size for the businesses we were in? How good were we at competing in that market? And therefore, at an exit, what's the best way to drive the most value for shareholders? Um, and I was given, I think it was 60 days, might have been 80, but 60 sticks in my head to, to come back to, to Living Bridge and the chairman with a view to say, this, this is what I think. Um, and it was, it was very exciting because you're coming into something fresh, um, private equity is a different working environment, a different culture to industry, or the industries that I've worked in. Um, and I came in and reviewed the business, looked through all the different options and uh, we came to the conclusion that looking at the technology business as the growth area was the most important thing. And the reason for that was that the market size was much bigger. So the addressable market for that, for that business was huge, it was over two billion pounds in the UK. And we were a very small business at that time. The multiple on exit for a technology business was much stronger as well. So an asset owning business may get a multiple of six to eight times. A tech company, it's at least 10. And if it's a, it's a long-term recurring revenue business, you might get even up to 15. So we had a long debate and picked a strategy to focus upon that technology area. And that's what we then did for the next 19 months. Um, we then grew the business from about 3 million profit to 5 million profit and sold to Beaumont for 51 million pounds in December of that year. Wow. So um, let's talk a bit about uh, the process of managing the sales, so first time from Living Bridge to, to Beaumont, and then what did you learn from that experience that you took into the recent, month, recent yeah. deal this year with Phoenix? 
I think, I think the exit process is um, a huge time of learning. So when, when you're running the exit process, it is very difficult. It's incredibly difficult because you are attending to your core business. So everyone's got a full-time job. You've got employee issues, customer issues, supplier issues, growth, contracts. Everything that normally happens carries on happening. So nothing stops. Because you're for sale, there's even more um, scrutiny of the numbers and more you know, desire for those numbers to get better and better and better. So your, your BAU um, has to carry on. And you have to be really careful that you've got the right resources in the business to manage the exit process and that not all the resources are on the exit process, leaving the core process um, you know, starved of resource. So first thing is get, getting that right. And in, in both exits, that was the case, making sure we had the right people in the core doing all the right work. Then in terms of the actual um, exit itself, you start from a conversation with the investor around how we're going to run this process. So what's the timetable? And what, what's a good timetable? So at what, in what month are you selling or you desire to sell? So is it pre-Christmas, mid-year, after the end of September, after the end of your financial year? <clears throat> and all these things have an impact on value and need thought because if you're trying to achieve the best exit possible, you need everybody around and holidays and seasonal, Christmas season, etc., can get, get in the way. So the planning of it is very important. The selection of the advisors is very important as well. So there are a lot of advisors that, that need to be engaged and chosen. So not only the lead corporate finance provider, but the commercial diligence provider, the financial diligence, the IT diligence, and the management advisors are critical as well so that you've got some independent advisors helping you as a team think through what does this all mean for you. And in, in each of those cases, there are different things to think about. So with the corporate finance people, what's the story? How is it going to look in the IAM? How are we going to run the process? Is it PE and trade in parallel? How much time are we allowing? How much pressure are we putting on time? You're also looking to make sure all the data that's pulled together from everybody is very, very consistent, which sounds simple, but your financial analysis, your commercial and your CF advisor can all be doing things in a slightly different way. So it's very important to integrate the data into one clear thought through story. And then having clarity on what's the overall picture for the next investor is very important as well. So what, what are they buying into as a team? What are they buying into in terms of the growth room for next time? Um, what are the strategic options? So what else can this business do if you invest and, and what does that look like? So thinking all those things through are important. Um, and then you've got to execute this project plan every single day for six, seven, eight, nine, however many months your process takes. And there are decisions about how quickly you want to do all these things. And I, I start from a view that time is risk. So you need to get things done really quickly because in a year's time, your business, some of your customers might have issues, some of your suppliers might have issues, some of your staff might have family, poorly, ill, whatever. So there's always a risk with time. And one of the things that I, I think I've learned is you, you need to focus on the speed and make sure that you execute really, really quickly to drive value. Um, and then there's, there's, I could talk for hours on, on the learnings, but um, on the, at the right at the end, when you're trying to work out um, who your next investor is going to be, 
you're, you're picking somebody you're going to work with for the next three, four, five years. You need to give time to that relationship when you don't have very much time. You need to reference the people. You need to understand the culture. If it's a PE house, you're going to, again, what's the culture of that firm? What are the, the, the partners like? They're going to sit on your board. How's that going to feel? Talking to um, portfolio companies they've invested in is really important. I'm amazed that lots of people don't do that. So, so following through on the references, asking for good references and then ringing up the businesses where it's not gone so well, which aren't the references you're going to get. But finding out the portfolio companies where it's not so good, that's very important as well. Because you're trying to, fit, you're trying to find out how will your investor work with you when things are good and when things are not so good, if there's factors outside of your control. Uh, and all of that's important. So I think across the two exits we've done so far, we learned a lot in the first one with Living Bridge that allowed us to be better at the sex, second exit. But it's still a lot of work, a lot of distraction, a lot of challenge. Uh, and you have to be really focused on the plan, the de- exact information, what's going to happen when, and make sure you, you deliver that plan. The last, the deal you've just done with Phoenix, you did that in six weeks. How long did the first the Living Bridge to Beaumont, how long did um, that take? We did, so the, last, the deal we've just done with Phoenix, we did it in eight weeks eight from weeks. <laughs> information memorandum going out to signing, including the debt. Which is super quick, right? So PwC said, have told us it's the fastest deal they've done in 2018. Um, I hope that's true. How long did the Living Bridge to Beaumont uh, take? That took, that took longer, that took longer. So how, how was it so that I think you got to that? So I've I've personally learned in terms of running the exit processes, the benefit of speed, the benefit of preparation, the benefit of the clarity of the strategic story. So because we were very well prepared, we thought it all through, we had a great information memorandum, great commercial diligence from a provider that, that knew us well, great financial diligence from a provider that knew us well, great IT diligence. We had everything ready so that when the IM went out, we were as organized as you could be. So we were match fit, if you want to use football analogy, and I'm a Leeds fan, so that, that works for me. So we were match fit, we, we knew exactly what we were going to do. We knew the 10 or 15 houses that we thought would come and be interested in our business because they'd followed us and they talked to us over the last few years. Uh, and therefore, we're able to run that process very well and, and make sure that at, at every moment on the course of the journey, we knew when decisions needed to be taken and we're in the right place to make those calls and drive it forward very fast. Mm. And I, I guess that speed gives you the ability to not be distracted through the process of you know four to six months and you know the business performance drop and you're getting on with the next stage of growth and development, aren't you? But that post, so now, you did the deal in August, September, was it? Uh, 30th of July, yeah. 30th of July, <laughs> we're five months down the track. What what does your PE, you know, was your new PE investor want to see in that first five months? What's um, How do you quick, I, get those quick runs on the board? I think the, the, the lessons learned for, for us as a team is, first of all, go on holiday. So the worst thing in the world... That I can think, be quite difficult, though. Exactly. And this is, this it's the right time of the year. You is, the, the, we were lucky, but the difficulty is, as soon as you've done a deal, your new investor wants a strategy day, yeah. wants a new chairman, wants to look at things you've maybe not looked at before, and you are exhausted. So I think first thing I would advise anybody to do is take a break. Take a week off, or even at least take a weekend off, 
and agree that with your new equity house, we're going to take a break. We've been running flat out, doing two jobs, running the business, running the exit in parallel for a number of months, take a break, really important. Then in terms of scores on the door, initially it's about delivering the year one plan. So the most important thing is we have promised a year one plan. We've sold a business on a year one plan with a very clear view of EBITDA profit month one, month two, month three, month four. We've sold a business with a pipeline with a certain number of deals that should come through and it's making sure that happens and there's no surprises. If it's good early, you say if there's an issue, you call it out and explain how you're going to fix it uh, and not hold anything back. And that transparency is very important because it's a brand new relationship. You've got together in this new relationship in a very fast time and you're still getting to know each other in the first year. So the PE house has bought a business that they know a bit about, but they, they can't know the business as much as the management team. So year one, education about the business, explaining how we do things in the detail, meeting lots of the wider team that maybe they've not met through the process, winning the new deals in the pipeline, delivering the EBITDA, and making sure that the, the new investor feels very comfortable in year one and there's no um, new risks or issues that are coming to the table that weren't discussed in the process. I think that's very important. Um, and then as the months go by, the board meetings start to clock up, you're on plan, comfort's being achieved, your new, new chairman comes on board and everything starts to flow from there. Let's just go back one step. You said something earlier about the due diligence that you need to carry out as the CEO going through a secondary buyout. And we talked about understanding the PE fund that are doing the deal or interest in the business and the individuals in it. How deep do you go there? So how did you source the, the businesses that hadn't really worked out that well for your previous investors to speak to to understand how they react under a circumstance where the, business, think, the plan isn't really yeah, going I, to plan? I think the when you're flat out in the exit process, you don't have much time. Um, and it's very easy not to do the research and not to work out what each of these new PE houses could be like. I think you get an opinion from um, your corporate finance advisor. So if you explain the culture that you're looking to create in your boardroom, what, what sort of investor do you want? What do you want that investor to bring to your business in the next investment period? That helps you try and work through a long list of PE investors that might be interested and create then a short list of, of 10 or 15. So that's effectively what we did and said, this is the sort of investor we want. We want a team that can help us. We've got a high uh, growth plan in the UK market, grabbing market share, disrupting a market, massive opportunity if we can accelerate sales and marketing uh, and win more deals quickly, particularly large customers early in the period. Um, we've got a management team that's been through two investors, therefore is pretty canny about how it works. It's quite experienced. So we need that emotional intelligence to help us think about things and make sure we deliver that plan. So you can find out a lot from the, the corporate finance community. Each of the PE houses clearly have their own websites. They, they've got their portfolios. CEOs of portfolio companies quite often talk to each other. So you get a sense of the ones that are going really well. You also get a sense of the ones that are not going so well. And it's relatively easy through either lawyers, PE contacts, recruiters to then get connected to different people. So each of your potential PE um, uh, investors will come to you with their list of three, four, five people to ring. And clearly you need to ring some of those, but you then also need to ch choose a few others to ring to give you that sense of the good versus the bad. 
And also very important, I think, to not just reference the PE house, where is it at with its funds and its fundraising and, and you know, is it in really good shape and growing fast? You also need to know that, but you, you want to know about the people on your board. So the actual partner you're going to work with or investment director, have they performed on their investments? What does CEO say about them? What's their style um, and approach to, to, to running a business? And I think by trying to soak that up at speed, you form a picture of the people that you definitely think you can work with, the people that you definitely can't work with, and a bunch that are in the middle where you probably need to get some more information to work out whether they can be in or not. And then, in truth, the exit process drives a VAT, a price, and a timetable and some completion criteria as well as your personal judgment. So you have to put all of this into that melting pot of observation and data to try and work out who's going to win. Uh, and you might have somebody, it's a standout winner that's way ahead on price that doesn't feel quite right. Um, but you might be prepared to go with that if they're so far ahead on price. If you clearly can't work with these people, you have to call it out and say, I'm not working with that house. They are not culturally aligned to the way that we work and, and want to behave. So with respect, we'd rather they weren't on the list. Were you ever in that position? I think you... How, how do you manage that with your selling PE fund? So, you know, yeah. Beaumont saying, yeah, but David, you know, they're going to give us 100 more... <laughs> I think, until, I think it's a very sensitive topic. So clearly you, you, you have to, from a selling point of view, you need to have 10 or 15 PE houses excited. Yeah. Um, and it's unfair of the management team to draw a list of three because value is created by having lots of people who are excited about an asset who are in a fast process to, to, to win a deal. So you have to help your, your selling PE house. And, and Beaumont were great at you know, this particular aspect. So I'm the ones I didn't know in terms of PE houses I went out to meet and I've come back with a view and said I didn't really enjoy that whatsoever and unless there's some knockout reason why they should be on the list because they pay 3x more than anybody else which is pretty rare then you can normally come to a sensible conversation that says this is a list of now 12, 13, 14 PE houses that's going to create competitive tension in the process it's enough and if there's one or two on the sideline that didn't get through because we couldn't get on with them, I think it's your prerogative as CEO to say, I can't work with these people. So they might pay a little bit more. At this stage, you don't know how much they're going to pay because they've not actually gone through the process. Um, but you can you can drive a lot of this if, if you're careful about it. Um, but you, at the end of the day, you're, you are selling and you are buying. So as a, on the selling side of your brain, you need to make sure you've got a bunch of people that are going to buy and are going to transact at a decent price, um, but also on the buying side of it, can you work with these people? Yeah, can you have the right culture going forwards? And will your team enjoy that investor and the way they're going to work with you? Because it's very important because we work so hard. Did you look at the funds? These, these private equity firms have multiple funds, and they might have two funds that are investing right now. They might have fund three that is almost fully invested, and they might already have fund four investing yeah. <clears throat> yeah so uh, how important is it for you to understand as in secondary and tertiary deals where you sit within their fund cycle yeah I, th I think if you can understand the fund cycle and where they're up to so how, how far invested are they in the fund how successful has the fund been what's the exit timetable for that fund I think it helps you knowing uh, that information you can't easily get all that information 
So you can get a sense of it from the corporate finance advisors, that they'll have a view on, on various funds. The historic data is there, so in terms of fund seven, eight, nine, ten, you can you can get that information about the past. You can also ask for the information when you're in the negotiation process so that you understand am I going to be the first investment in this fund or am I the last investment? How does that impact? If it's late into fund, where are you at with the with the businesses you've sold so far? So what's the financial performance of that fund? So you can get some information. So it's part of the jigsaw trying to work out what's going on, but it isn't the only topic. Um, but I think it's, it's one of those things, it's good to know some more information if you can. Um, and it, it doesn't always drive the final decision, but it gives you a feeling. So if you're in the middle of the fund, the fund's doing really well, you start to think this is a good PE house, they've bought some good businesses, they've exited at a good price, you know, I'm going to go into that fund with my business and therefore that should feel good. Alternatively, if you're looking at a fund performance and they bought 10 businesses and there were eight that were pretty poor, and then had one or two heroes that dragged them out of that, that, that gives you a little bit more anxiety around the performance of that fund. Because for the PE house, it's picking great deals and then helping management teams execute growth plans. And it's the two things that makes them stand out. And you're about to join their club of investments and you want to be certain that you're joining a good club and they're going to give you wise advice to help you grow your business. I guess the other point is um, in, that, in that fund cycle, if, if, you've, if you join a fund, you're the, you're the last or second but last investment in that fund and they have one or two businesses that you know that they've had to write down the value of those businesses. I bet you looked at one of these funds um, uh, yeah. on your journeys. Did, the impact that that can have on you as a portfolio business is huge, isn't it? Yes. Because yeah, yeah. Your, um, your success, your destiny as an investee portfolio business isn't just in your own hands, it's also in the, in, uh, the rest of the fund's hands in terms of their performance because your, yeah. your um, success as an investment might have to make up for the shortfall of others. Mm. I think that's one of the interesting things that you, you start to learn as you become more experienced in PE is that your, your business is one part of a fund and that fund is one part of how successful that PE has been and is going to be. And knowing as much as you can about that fund helps you think about the decisions you're about to make. So if you take the example there, if you're, if you're the business that's going to deliver a great return, but you now have to deliver one or two X more to drag the other portfolio companies in that fund up for that fund to deliver a successful outcome, it means you're probably going to have to hang around a lot longer till you get to exit. You're therefore giving yourself a risk and the return at which you might have been happy as a management team to transact turns out to be uh, at a lower level than where the PE house is happy to sell. So understanding that's useful. I think when you're, when you're talking to 10 PE houses or 15 in a, in a process and you're not certain which one's going to win the process, it's a, it's a part of the jigsaw. It's not the only thing, um, but it is useful information to know. Um, sometimes you can do something about it, as in you, you're picking the house that where you're going to be in a great shape and they're fun. Others, you might well end up being that one business to, to drag the overall return up, which is okay if you're, the return you think you're going to get to matches the number that they need to actually make that fund work for them. Um, but that's not the best place to be.
That's great. <clears throat> Let's leave it there. Thank you, David. It's been great to hear your story and thank you for listening. You can download our podcast series from all the usual podcast places or do go and subscribe to the show. We'll be back with another interview next month. But for now, goodbye and thank you for listening.